good God, Father. That no matter how many times we say that, Lord God, and we say thank you and praise you and bless you, Father, it just never seems to be enough. And Father, we thank you that you are the more than enough God, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that you delight and you rejoice in being with your people, that you inhabit the praises of your people. So, Father, this morning we just want to thank you for being with us so far. And we pray now, Lord, that as we gather around your word, that, God, that you will just come, anoint my mouth, Father, anoint our ears and our hearts to hear what you want to say to us this morning. And, Father, I pray that we won't just be hearers of the word, but, God, we will be doers of your word, Father, being more and more conformed into the image of your Son. So, Holy Spirit, come, and will you divide your word, Father? Will you break it up? And, Father, will you feed your people through your vessel and for your glory? For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Now, when Becky and I first moved to Harlow, on the whole, it went as well as it could have done, except for one slight hiccup, namely the saga of our sofas. (laughs) Now, we were due to get new ones, and so with the move, we thought, great, let's put our order in. But then it wasn't until afterwards that we realized that the new sofa is going to fill our entire lounge. (laughs) And so a day before the delivery, we had to cancel our order and reorder another one. I mean, talk about lastminute.com. Now, the store were very good in that they allowed us to cancel and reorder, and they said it will be with you in another week. And we thought, great that it's only a matter of another week and we will have to make do by sitting on our lovely little camping chairs. No. I tell you, we were counting the days down to delivery. And then finally, the day arrived. And we're getting excited, thinking no more camping chairs for us. And then we get an email, not a phone call, but an email to say, we're really sorry, but we're out of stock. And the earliest that we can do anything is possibly next week. And at this point, I could just feel my resentment levels rising to the surface, thinking, didn't you know about your stock levels before you took our order? I mean, come on. But we thought, no, we'll be gracious. And we will give them another week. A week later, and still no delivery. And this time we are told, really sorry, but the sofa hasn't made its way down from the main depot. And it's at this point that I could almost see the red mist descending right before my very eyes. But because we had a workman in the house, I couldn't let rip because I didn't want to spoil our testimony. And so in the end, we politely cancelled our order and we went elsewhere. And even though it meant that we had to sit on those jolly camping chairs for another week or two, we finally got there. And today, I can happily report that all is well. Hallelujah. Now, I mention all that to say 
that in the space of a phone call, I was ready to go to war over a sofa of all things. I mean, talk about first world problems, right? <laughs> but in contrast, and from our text that we have been looking at over the past few weeks, we discover something about God, and that is he is totally unlike us, in that he is slow to anger, and that's a good thing. Amen. And so, continuing on with our series, let us look at the next installment entitled, Who is God? Part 4. And if you have your Bibles with you, then please open up and come with me to, the, to our text, to the book of Exodus. And we're going to read from chapter 34 and verses 6 to 7. And I know that you've all got it nailed right now, right? So let's say it together. And it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And verse 8, And Moses quickly bowed his head to the ground and worshipped. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Amen. Now, as you know, the context of our text is Moses is asking the Lord to show me your glory, which is another way of saying, God, show me what you are like. I need to know you. You see, every one of us has a theology or a vision of what we think God is like. And for many, this vision, it may come from either wishful thinking, from popular culture, or Hollywood. But for the Christian, it ought to come from the Scriptures. Amen. Amen. And so, by way of a quick recap, in part one, we looked at the Lord as we traced out the development of that name throughout the Scripture. Then in part two, we looked at the Lord. And we saw that there is only one chief God or Elohim. But, but in line with that, there are also other lesser spiritual beings who are also called Elohim or God or gods with a lowercase g. And then in part three, we saw that God is Rahum Vachanun. He is merciful and he is gracious. And if you missed any of those, not to worry because you can catch them again on our website or our YouTube channel. Praise God for technology. Amen. Amen. And so today, we're going to look at the next line in our text, which tells us that God is slow to anger, or if you like, he is erek apayim in the Hebrew. And it literally translates to to mean that he is long of nose, all nostrils. Now, that doesn't mean to say that God has a long nose, no. but rather it means it's a, a Hebrew idiom. 
Now, you may say, well, what does a long nose have to do with being slow to anger? Great question. And it's translated as such because the Hebrew doesn't quite transliterate very well into English. However, the translators have done a great job in capturing the essence of this text by equating long of nose to slow to anger. It's like this. Think of the angry emoji breathing steam from its nose. Or think back to the cartoons back in the day, especially of dragons, that when they got mad, how their nostrils would flare as they breathed fire from them. It's what we call someone who has a quick temper or a short fuse. Think of that person who cuts the queue, jumps in front of the queue when you're in the coffee shop or in the supermarket. At best, we get irritated, but at worst, we get angry, right? But that's not what God is like. But rather, he is slow to anger. Now, the Septuagint, it helps us. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And it helps us because this word long for nostrils is translated as patient or forbearing. Furthermore, the Aramaic Targum also throws further light on this. And for those of you who are thinking, what on earth is a Targum? It's essentially an Aramaic translation of the Hebrew Bible. It came about when the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon. You see, Many of the Jews, they stopped speaking their own native language of Hebrew, and that meant that they were unable to read their own scriptures. And so, the rabbis, they translated the Old Testament text into Aramaic, the language of the day. However, their translation was a translation at best, and in today's money, it would be something along the lines of the message version, which essentially is a paraphrase with a little bit extra of the scriptures. And so in one particular Targum, our text of Exodus 34, it reads, O Lord, O Lord, gracious and merciful God, the one who makes anger distant and brings compassion near. And that's their interpretation of Erek Abhayam. Namely, that his anger is way off into the distance somewhere, but his compassion is much closer to hand, and it is nearby. And that's what God is like. That he is not like the world, how the world portrays him, angry and unstable and dragon-like and ready to fly off the handle at a moment's notice. No, but he is slow to anger. But that said, it doesn't mean to say that God never gets angry because he does, but it takes a lot. And whenever he does get angry... He is totally unlike us. Because we may get angry when a certain sofa doesn't arrive on time. 
or when a goal is blocked or when our ego takes a bit of a hit. We lash out from a, from a wounded soul or from a place of unhealth. But when God gets angry, it is always out of love. It's like when a parent scolds their child for running out in front of a busy road. They may scream at them, not because they hate them, but because of their love and their concern for them. And it's the same with God. Amen. Now, as you know, Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is one of the most quoted verses in the Bible by the Bible. And so that said, let us read from the book of Nahum, chapter 1. And the opening verse of this prophetic book, it reads, An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Belkosh. Now, last time we touched on Nineveh very briefly via the prophet Jonah. And just as a reminder, Nineveh, It was a a cruel place. It was brutal, full of injustice and violence. I mean, it was barbaric and just plain wicked. And shockingly, God sends his prophet to call this city to repentance. And after hearing the prophet's message, Nineveh repents, revival breaks out, and God turns from his wrath and he shows mercy, much to the dismay of Jonah. I mean, Jonah is not a happy bunny at this. But then, fast forward approximately 150 years later, and we come to the book of Nahum. And we learn that Nineveh's repentance was only short-lived. That sadly, like a dog returning to its vomit, Nineveh also returned to its wickedness. And in 722 BC, they oppressed Israel, and now God is not happy. And let's pick it up from there. Nahum 1 and verse 2, it reads... The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger. And there it is, the echo of Exodus 34. And he is great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Sound familiar? Now, when Jonah quoted Exodus 34, He did so knowing the nature of God, that he is merciful and he is gracious, etc. And Jonah by no means wanted God to show that compassion to those jolly Ninevites. No. But rather, he wanted God to judge them and to destroy them. But God showed compassion. However, God's patience with Nineveh It began to run out. And it wasn't a case of it running out just a couple of years after sending the prophet. No, but after 150 years. That's patience for you, right? It's almost two lifetimes. 
And after 150 years, God finally calls time and says, enough and no more. I mean, the Lord gave Nineveh ample opportunity to mend their ways, and yet they refused. And so the Lord says, enough and no more. And then it is truly lights out and game over. Wow. Now, what's interesting is that we are told that Nineveh was never destroyed by an act of God. But rather, it was destroyed by the Babylonians and the Medes in 612 BC, which means that the destruction of this city via a pagan army is called God's wrath. Wow. Now, scholars tell us that there are two tenses to God's wrath. There's his active wrath, and then there's his passive wrath. And let's break it down just a little. God's active wrath is when he does something in an instant. Think of 2 Samuel in chapter 6. It's when King David is bringing the ark, God's presence, into Jerusalem. But due to his negligence of not following God's instructions on how to transport the ark, namely to place it on the shoulders of the priests, instead they place it on a cart and it is now dragged by the oxen. The oxen stumbles. Uzzah puts his hand out to steady the ark and in an instant he is struck down dead. And that's an example of God's active wrath. And don't think that it's an Old Testament thing. Because we find the same thing in the New Testament also. Particularly in the account of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. In that they deceive the church. And they lie to the Holy Spirit about the proceeds from their house. And instantly they are struck down Now, thankfully, these occurrences of God's active wrath are few and far between. And we thank God that the wages of sin are not paid instantaneously. Otherwise, we'd all be in trouble, right? I mean, can you imagine the moment that you click onto that porn site? Or you lie through your teeth. Or you blaspheme the name of the Holy One. That instantly you are struck down dead. It's like someone once said. Sin wouldn't be so attractive if the wages were paid immediately. So thank God that he is patient. And that he is slow to anger. Amen. Now, in contrast to God's active wrath, there is also his passive wrath. It's when God doesn't necessarily act, but that in itself is his judgment. Think of Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where it says, that the, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
And then in verses 24 to 28, we find this line repeated over and over again. And it says, God gave them up, verse 24. God gave them up, verse 26. God gave them up, verse 28. Three times we read that line, and this is God's passive wrath. In other words, it's when God removes his hand of protection and his blessing and says, okay, have it your way. And when he does, Romans 1, 29 takes place, and that is they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, murder, strife, and deceit, and the list goes on. In other words, when God removes his covering and says have it your way. It is then that Nineveh gets destroyed, that the mind gets warped by pornography and the marriage is wrecked by adultery. That if we continually resist God and persist in sin, then the danger is that one day God may say, okay, have it your way. And when he does, it is then that we self-destruct and we become even more depraved than we were. Now, just to say, before God brings his wrath, active or passive, he graciously gives us time to repent and to come to him. Because he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter 3 and verse 9. Amen. Because that's God's heart. He is merciful and he is gracious and he is slow to anger. He really is, church. Now, this concept of being slow to anger isn't only unique to the Old Testament, but we also find it in the New Testament, and more specifically, we find it in the person of our Lord. Because essentially, Yahweh and Yeshua are one, that they are both erek apayim, or slow to anger. Hallelujah. Matthew 21 and verse 12, it tells us, It says, and Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now, in the time of our Lord, the temple, it was full of corruption. I mean, people would travel miles to bring their lambs and their sacrifices of offerings, all in a bid to get right with a holy God according to Jewish law and custom. However, when they arrived, a temple official would stop them in order to perform a quality check. And after inspecting their lamb, he would say, Your lamb is actually quite defective. But hey, don't worry, because there's some pre-approved lambs over there that you can purchase. And as you can imagine, they would charge 
an extortionate amount. Now, if one was quite savvy and they brought money instead of a lamb, the official would say, we don't accept the currency of Rome here. It is of the devil. But hey, there's a bureau de change over there that will happily assist you. And again, as you can imagine, they would charge an exorbitant amount. And Jesus is not happy. And Matthew 21, 12 tells us that he overturned the money changers, the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now, this account is recorded by all four gospel writers. And whenever that's the case, it means pay attention here. And note that in John's gospel, it appears at the beginning, while in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it appears at the end. And it's for this reason that scholars argue that there could have potentially have been two temple cleansings. Anyhow. Looking at it through the lens of the synoptics, it seems that it's the last thing that Jesus does before execution. And as one scholar puts it, he says that it was all a part of the Lord's plan. That it wasn't just a case that one day Jesus loses it and he flips over the tables. No. But rather it was planned. That after three years of calling the Jewish leaders to repent, he was giving them ample opportunity to come to him, and yet they refused to come. And so in the end, the Lord says, enough and no more. And he drives out the money changers, and he cleans house. And it's a picture of what's to come. That one day, when the Lord returns, he will put right everything that has gone awry. That in his wrath, he will destroy all forms of injustice, wickedness, and violence. And in his love, he will wipe away every heartbreak, ache, and pain as he ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, where the lion shall lie down with the lamb, and there will be no more weeping glory. In other words, the future is bright, and it's not orange, for those of you who can remember back that far, but it is Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're here this morning, and if you do not know this compassionate Savior, then I cannot urge you enough, but come to him today. Because he is not standing there with a whip in his hand, ready to punish you. No. But his arms are wide open, and he is bidding you, and he calls you to come. So come to him this day. And if you have any questions, then please come and grab one of us after the service and we would love to speak with you. Is that okay? Amen. Amen. Now for those of us who know the Lord, 
James tells us, and he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. James 5, 7. And the word patient here is the Greek translation of the Hebrew phrase, erek apayim. In other words, James is saying, like God, let us also be patient and slow to anger until the Lord returns. To make no mistake, Jesus is returning. So don't grumble against one another. Stop the bickering and the backbiting so that you may not be judged. James 5 and verse 9. You see, we are not called to bear grudges or hold resentments of any kind. Rather, we are to love, to forgive, and to release. It is the way of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Easier said than done. I know. I'm fully aware of it. And that is why we cannot do it in our own strength. But we need the power and the grace and the anointing of Holy Spirit. And so, if you, like me, are still getting triggered by things that you ought not to be, like sofas, or if you recognize that resentment, frustration, or anger is a constant theme in your life, that you are constantly moving in and out of that place, then I'm going to pray in just a moment. And as I do... I want to encourage you and invite you this morning that wherever you are this morning, do business with the Lord yourselves. You don't have to come to the front. You can just stay in your seats and you can commune with your Father where you are. That if you sense that you have perhaps been harboring any form of resentment, frustration, even unforgiveness, And just bring it to the Lord. Ask him to reveal it to you. And then as he does, relinquish control. Give it over to him. That's not yours to carry. But if there is any offense that you've been carrying around, somebody hurt you or someone spoke something over you, And like a a barbed thorn, it's gone in. And even though some of it's come up, but there's a barb that's been left behind in your body of offense. Give it over to him today. Get free from it. For who the Lord sets free, he is free indeed. And it's not God's plan for your life to be carrying that, to be nursing that wound. Because it's like any other wound. We get a scratch, it scabs over, and we start picking at the scab. And what happens? It starts to ooze, and it starts to bleed once again, and it never heals. But the Lord wants to heal that, wants to break that open, because that's his best for you, because this is the heart of the Father. And so wherever you are this morning, as we pray, feel free to join your yes with his and get free. Amen.
Let's just pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. Holy Spirit, we want to just give you full reign and full permission right now to search our hearts, to search our minds, Lord. We thank you that you have been with us from the very beginning, that you were here not only at the beginning of creation itself, but Father, you saw us as we were being knitted together in our mother's womb, God. You knew, Father, the type of people that we would be. You had ordained the days, the number of days of our lives. And, Father, you have seen that place, Lord God, where perhaps, Lord, we have been wounded, Lord God, or we have carried some offense because of something that somebody done or said to us along the way. And how it has, Father, we have walked, Lord God, with just a bit of a limp, Lord, not getting free or hearing that voice, that accusation or whatever it may be. And so, Holy Spirit, we just pray that as you reveal this to us, as you place your finger upon that issue, Lord God, that offense, that wound, that hurt, whatever it may be, Father, we thank you that you are the one who nailed every accusation, every offense, Lord God. Father, you took it all upon that cross. And as your word, Father, says, when you taught us to pray to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And so, Father, this day, we choose, Lord, that as you, Father, search us and reveal to us, God, we relinquish all of those things into your care. And Father, we choose with our own will and volition that we will not carry any further offense, Lord God. Father, even if we got to keep on giving it back over to you because the wound is so deep, but God, we pray, will you apply your healing balm upon that place? So Holy Spirit, we just thank you and we bless you and we love you, God, that you have redeemed us and you redeem us to the uttermost. That God, that you don't just... Father, just patch us up. You don't just put a a plaster over a big gaping wound. But, Father, you get in there. You perform surgery. You clean it out, Lord God. And, Father, you seal it and heal it all together. So, Father, we just pray that you will heal those hurts. And, Lord, form us and conform us more into the image of of your son. May we take your lead, being slow to anger, being compassionate and gracious as you have been to us. And may we display you to the world. So Father, we bless you and we exalt you and we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.